Hello, and welcome to another episode of Avatar The Last Korra. I'm David. And I'm Hannah, and today we are talking about uh, Avatar Season 3, Episode 7, The Runaway, Episode 8, The Puppet Master, and Episode 9, Nightmares and Daydreams. It's about scams. The Runaway is about scams. We're talking about... It's about grifts. Grifts and doing some hijinks, and we're deep into just some, like, really fun filler uh, for Season 3, Avatar, at this point. Um, yeah, but it's character filler. Oh, for sure. It's filler that I love. Character. You know, in the same way that I love a lot of the filler that's in the first and second seasons of Avatar as well. You know, like, just because it's filler, especially in this show, doesn't mean it's, it's like, Yeah, bad. I really like, yeah, all three of these Avatar episodes. I, I, um, I think The Runaways starts with, I think, what might be the only cold yeah. open in Avatar. It's really interesting. Um, they they do a, a shot of... <laughs> Toph getting captured and Katara sort of like standing over her and we're left to think like, oh my gosh, what happened? Right, and then it's like cut to a few days earlier. And, you know, like the Toph-Katara sort of rivalry thing and not trusting Toph, you know, that was briefly brought up in that episode where they're running away from uh, from Azula and the train. Yeah, and that's like right after she joins back in in season two. Right, but we haven't really touched on it since then, and and Toph hasn't really gotten very direct, uh, uh, you know, development. We've learned new things right. about her, like you know her ability to infiltrate high society, and we've seen her, you know, get tricked into thinking that her parents have changed, and that might you know lead to some mistrust of people who say they're they're trying to right. help her, but. You know, otherwise she's been pretty much the mm-hmm. same, you know? Yeah. We found her to be right in well, better work. You know, we didn't, you know, she didn't, like, adjust her teaching methods. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, she did invent metal bending, but that's not particularly character growth. Right, but that's not, you know, that's like a power-up. That's not really yeah, development. Yeah, no, I know. Is it? No, it's not at all. Um, but this one, after the cold open... Toph and Katara are both sort of training Aang and, you know, they start accidentally hitting each other with their attacks and then it devolves into girl mud wrestling, which, you know, I always throw a little side eye at. Ladies. Um, or gentlemen. Ladies in the mud wrestling. Um. (laughs) Right. It's weird. And Sokka has a great little moment in this training scene where, you know, he tries to run up on Aang and sneak attack him, but he yells sneak attack, and uh, it's it's pretty good. I enjoy it. Some great Sokka humor. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, Toph, Aang, and Sokka head into town to just sort of, like, hang out, chillax while Katara gets unmuddied. Uh, and Sokka decides... Well, they're trying to go shopping, but they only got one oh, silver piece left. What are they going to do? Gambling. It's all it's about gambling. gambling. Kids. Um, also, Sokka wants a hawk. We get some more Sokka materialism in, in this episode, which is delightful. I like it. True. It's a running thread. Yeah, but so there's like, you know, there's a shell yeah. game. See? Three card Monty. Find the pretty lady. <laughs> and this is a game as old as, like, time itself. Um... So I totally would believe that it would be oh, yeah. here. It's um, so simple. And I would totally believe that the guy oh, cheats yeah. at it. And, you know, they're in the Fire Nation. You just you, you switch the little shells around and you hide the rocks. Uh, luckily, they're yeah. rocks, though, so Toph can just see them with earthbending. Yep, and just, you know, keep them in whatever shell she wants them to be in. 
And uh, she does that, and she wins, like, 40 silver pieces off of this guy. And uh, they, like, run home with a bunch of supplies. And Katara's like, where'd you get these? And they're like, don't worry about it. We cheated a cheat. It's fine. And she's like, all right, well, no more scams. And then there's just a montage of them doing, like... It's incredible mom energy. We've been talking about <laughs> Katara's building mom energy. Yeah. And this is the episode where it all comes to it fruition. Really does. I mean, in that sense, it's not filler at all, right? <laughs> this is the culmination of every mom episode that Katara's had all this season and yeah, last that's season. True. Um, this this is the ultimate Katara mom <laughs> moment. Um, but yeah, so then there's a montage of them just, like, running a trillion different scams. My favorite being the hit-and-run scam, because just, like... Well, just three. It's, like, more than three, isn't it? Yeah. They do, they do like, a few of them. No, All it's right. just three. It's the, they do, they do, they do a craps game where the, they use, uh, rock mm. dice. So, lucky that, you know, so many of these games involve rocks in some way. Well. And then, uh, the hammer thing. Where, you know, test your strength, see how hard you can hit this okay. hammer, and Toph just, like, uses earthbending to punch the hammer up yeah. into the air, and so that makes it easier to swing down, it's, I guess. That's pretty great. Um, so, yeah. And then they do, the yeah, the run. hit and run, the classic hit and run. And Sokka gets to wear his beard again. I do love that Sokka has just, like, fallen in love with this fake facial hair that he, loves that the he beard. made in the, the Footloose episode. Yeah. Um, it's great. And he's got his best wink when he uh, he he winks to camera <laughs> that he's you know he's gotten his his yeah, money. He's, he's good now. Because uh, he's pretending to be a cop, yeah. and he gets, he gets a, bribe. a bribe so that he doesn't tell on the guy who fake hit Toph, and then they get a lot of money. And then basically, Toph gets a a wanted poster made of her with the nickname "The Runaway." There's the episode title, and. Uh, you know, Katara and Toph, like, have a fight about it because Katara goes snooping through Toph's things and finds it, which is just so incredibly mom. Uh, and then, you know... <laughs> I was just cleaning up and then I stumbled across the... I can tell you're lying, poster. Katara. I like the poster jokes. Do you like the poster jokes? Yeah, they're fine. I, I like them. I, I like the... Um, after Katara and Toph have the fight... They, the boys try to patch them up by sending a letter, uh, with Sokka's new hawk to Katara from Toph, but Katara gets it and is immediately just like, Toph can't write. Like, this is very obvious. Right. It's, you know, it's a very particular kind of intelligence that Sokka exhibits. Yeah. He, you know, he can construct a plan, but he doesn't always account for the humanity of it. Right. Uh, or, or the details, necessarily. Yeah, um, but then I love that Aang is just like, well, I guess we gotta send a note to Toph now, <laughs> and Sokka's just like, we're gonna run into the pretty similar problem there, I think. Right, they just keep forgetting that she's blind because she's so, you know, good at being yeah. blind. Um, <laughs> she's so capable. Yeah, so the way it is and resolved is that uh, Sokka goes and has a little talk with Toph right above, like, the bathing pool where Katara's hanging out to de-stress, I guess. Um, and so she overhears their conversation, and Sokka's like, listen, I appreciate that Sok that Katara's kind of my mom. Like, it, it, it's really nice sometimes. And, uh, maybe, maybe you would like it too. And Toph is like, yeah, maybe you're right. I don't know. Blah. 
And then, uh, you know. Well, like the big, the big climax of her fight with Katara was Katara saying, "Like you're just acting out because you miss your parents," and it's kind of a cruel thing to say, you know, because you're number one, like pointing out that this person has been basically abandoned by their fa- by their parents and that she abandoned them in return. Uh, you know, that's like a, a sad thing that's part of Toph's life is that her relationship with her parents is terrible, but that she still cares about them. And so I think Katara wants to to make up for that where she stepped over the right. line. Yeah. Um. So, you know, they decide, you know, Toph is trying to be all mature and shit, but then Katara's like, listen, what if we pulled one last prank, one last scam? And we'll we'll turn you in, but then we'll break you out. Yeah, it was a good twist. I I, I remember really liking. Yeah, it. it's it's nice. I like it. Um, so you know, then we get back to our cold open with Toph getting captured and dragged away, and you know, Katar is going to collect the reward. Um, but turns out Sparky Sparky Boom Man, who gets his name in this episode, uh, <laughs> he shows up. I guess, and was looking for Katara and, like, I guess, you know, knows what she looks like. Well, just, I think she, he knew that the blind, you know, that the uh, the runaway, uh, he knew that the runaway was with the Avatar and so figured whoever comes to get the, uh, the runaway and get the reward probably knows where the Avatar mm, is. I guess. Yeah, but so um, both Katara and Toph end up thrown in a wooden jail because plot twists can't bend your way out of that. Right. Which, it honestly seems like a strange thing for a random Fire Nation town to have, considering that, like, there are firebenders. Well, they built it just oh. for them, I'm Okay, yeah, just, like, overnight. Right, I'm assuming they built it specifically for this prisoner. But Katara makes her yeah. own water. <laughs> you know, like we all do. I, I love this. I, I remember being, like, so impressed by this. And to me, it leads into, you know, the, the next episode, The Puppet Master, a little bit, where basically they're like, how are we going to get our way out? Right. How are we going to get out? And so Katara just sweats and makes water and uses that to, sweating to, to the do oldies. a sweat blade to cut her way out of there. Um, meanwhile, Sokka and Aang come into town, and the town has been, like, evacuated, I guess. And they fight Sparky Sparky Boom Man, and you're right, this fight is a lot less interesting than the other fight. Right, but at least they make some progress and actually hit him a yeah. couple times. You know, Katara freezes his head, and he smashes it with his <laughs> arm, and then uh, Toph, you know, throws a rock that actually does end up hitting him in his forehead. And then when he tries to do the explosion again, it kind of backfires. Right. But it doesn't kill him, you know, it just sort of the explosion happens sort of around his head. So it's not like when you hit his weak point, he dies right. instantly. Because that but, would be too easy. Yeah, they, they stun him so they can get away. And it's, it's um, fun. So they do that. And then at the end, Katara, uh, Toph asks Katara to help her write a letter to her parents, um, which is like nice. And it's, it's like a full circle moment. Yep. And that's the last we hear. Yep, that's true. It's not really brought back. Um, but it's still nice. Toph is, at this point, fully developed. Yeah. There is nothing else that's going to happen with Toph's character in this season. That's true. So then that brings us to episode 8, The Puppet Master, and this is the spooky Halloween episode. Ooh. 
this episode is actually creepy. Did it air on Halloween? Yes, Did you I'm, look I'm that almost up? positive it aired around Halloween. Um, just from my own memory, but I'll yeah, look I'm, back. I'm interested in, like, why do I like this episode so much and, and I don't like The Swamp, you know? Because this... I think that's worth exploring for me personally. Because like, The Swamp is just, like, you know, it tries to be spooky, but it just tries to be spooky and, like, there's spirits around. Like, it doesn't actually deal with anything that's, like, existentially kind of terrifying the way, like, bloodbending is, like, existentially terrifying, you know? Right. Like, is it even scary that there is a bunch of vines trying to kill you in a forest? No. Like, I mean, like, it's a little bit no. creepy. Like, it's... But, like, everything's trying to kill them all the time. And they live in a fantastical world where, like, face stealers and dragons right. exist. So, like... Who gives a shit, you know? And, like, the visions that they see are, like, a little mysterious in the swamp, but they're not scary. They're not... Right. You know, they don't change anything about their relationship with the supernatural or with, you know... Yeah. uh, You know, it just doesn't change anything about the characters that they see. Oh, it's it's my dead girlfriend. Oh, it's my dead mom. Oh, it's a person I don't know oh, yet. Oh, it's a girl. Giggles. So, okay, I did look it up. The Pupper Master actually aired November 9th, so it was like two weeks post-Halloween, um, or a week or so post-Halloween. But I just, I remember, like, a, a lot of just, like, marketing around this being as, like, this is the creepy episode. And, like, I remember watching it and being, like, this is the creepy yeah, episode. Yeah, because it's the creepy episode. It's so creepy. You know, this episode starts with them literally sitting around a campfire telling, like, ghost stories and spook stories. And... Yeah, it's a, it's a great way to open the episode because, you know, it's something normal that kids can relate to. And, you know, then we're going to get into the really actually spooky stuff later but yeah they're still in spooky right. stories like, and, and it feels like such a classic uh trope for like you know the kind of like horror episode of a show that's not uh generally focused on like scary things necessarily you know like it it's oh everyone's around the campfire and this is the one with spooky stuff and you know they're interrupted with screams from coming from underground and then a creepy old woman shows up and freaks them all out and it's kind of like Come to right. my well, house. Well, it's important also to note that that Cora, uh, sorry, Katara's scary story is about living in the South yes. Pole, and so they're just saying that sort of out in the open, and this woman immediately hears that. Um, so you know, we're left wondering in the beginning of the episode, oh, did she hear that they're from the Southern Water Tribe, and is she going to like turn them into the police? Because right. um, she's kind of creepy. She could be a bad guy, but we'll later find out. Um, and you know. I think the kind of the moral of this one is like, don't judge a book by its cover. You know, a creepy lady in the woods might not be, uh, you know, creepy, but also <laughs> don't just befriend creepy ladies in the woods because they yeah. might be creepy. Um, it, it's a, kind of a mixed message <laughs> a little bit. Uh, but yeah, she, she invites <laughs> them to their house, to her house and, you know, feeds them and what have you. And then eventually Sokka discovers some creepy puppets uh, in her house after they, well, I, I skipped ahead. They, they go out to the market and, you know, find out that people have been disappearing under the full moon. 
And then, you know, they find the creepy puppets and then Sokka is like, this is weird. And so then he... Well, I think it's I think it's interesting that when they say that, like, the moon is, you know, the, the moon is full and people are disappearing in the night, Sokka now is saying, okay, it's probably a spirit phenomenon. No big deal. Right. You know, his skepticism has changed over the course of the series where now he's like... Okay, something weird happened. It's probably spirits. Right. Whereas, you know, in in book one, he was like, spirits are nonsense. Like, what are you talking about? Right. Uh, yeah, but then she just he just sort of notices that Hama is a little creepy. Yeah. Um, and so she's, he's just like, okay, well, let's just break into her secret rooms in her house and snoop. Yeah, let's snoop around her attic. You meddling uh, kids. And he picks a, a lock with a sword, which it's I love. Difficult to do. It's a tough skill. Yeah, and then more reasonably, they have uh, Toph use her uh, meteorite like armband to metal bend a key for like the lone box they find in the center of this room, which is weird and right. creepy in and of itself. You know, and they're about to open it when, of course, Hama shows up and is like, yeah. I'll show you what's in the box. I like that Katara is the whole time being like, you can't break into this box. It's it's immoral. But then when once it's open, she's excited to yeah. see what's inside, too. Yeah, it's classic. <laughs> I love it. Um, like, I I do love those moments when it's like, all right, we know we, we make Katara the mom a lot, but she is still a kid who's, like, curious yeah. about stuff. Exactly. Uh, but, you know, then Hama catches them and basically reveals that there's a comb from the Southern Water Tribe in there and that she's originally from the Southern Water Tribe. And, you know, she was captured by the Fire Nation long ago and had escaped. And, and then she's, you know, she's like, oh, it's too painful. I can't recount it. Yeah. You know, don't make me. Well, because she's trying to keep it a secret. Yeah. How she got out. She's a secret. But then, you know, she and Katara go and do, like, some training. Um, and, you know, she shows Katara that you can just, like, suck the water out of living things and use that. And you can just, you can use the water in the air. Unless, yeah. like, Frozone, you know, there is no water in this air. Remember that? <laughs> Incredibles? Yeah. Good times. Good times. Yeah, and so then Katara's like, oh, this, this is a little creepy. You just killed a lot of flowers. And she's like, yeah, they're just fucking flowers. Don't worry about it, kid. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, she's got a point, you know? It's like, this is about survival. She's living in the Fire Nation. <laughs> like, they exterminated her entire people. Uh, or at least tried to. Yeah, so then, you know, she's like, I'll teach you a secret technique that can only be done in the light of the full moon when your powers are at their strongest. And Katara's and like... The full moon? Something else was supposed to happen during the full moon. Oh yeah, people are getting kidnapped. And it's like, wow, we have, we are much stronger under the full moon, so shouldn't be a problem for us. It's like, yeah, right, you draw your power from the moon, and other people keep getting kidnapped... Put two and two together. <laughs> Nothing suspicious here. This is fine. <laughs> it's it's also funny to me when Toph like is they're like talking to old man Ding, who's like the only person who's who has lived through the uh, the spirit kidnapping. Right. Um, and he's like, yeah, they was trying to take me up to the mountain, and then Toph's like, oh yeah, like. Wasn't it like a day ago that I literally heard screaming under the mountain and we never thought to check there? Yeah. So basically, Aang, Toph, and Sokka go to check under the mountain. Um, and then 
uh, you know, Katara is getting her lessons from Hama, and then Hama's like, here's the secret technique. It's blood bending. You can control right. the blood in the veins of your enemies. And, like, blood bending is creepy as shit. Yeah. Well, it's like the imperious curse, you know, yeah. or whatever. It's an it's, unforgivable you know, it's one of these curse in Harry Potter. Classic mind control, but in this case, just body control. Like, that's almost, like, the worst part of it, is that, like, you're fully conscious of your body doing things against your will, you know? Like, yeah, it's, like it's that's spooky. pretty horrifying. But you know what else, you know, like, is making you do something against your will? Getting punched in the face and getting knocked out cold. So, I don't know. It might be a little overstated. Like, it's definitely creepy. Yes. But, I mean, if you're in a situation where you're trapped in a prison totally cool to use this technique to get out i think <laughs> yeah totally well justified. you know so like that's sort of uh hama's defense uh, she she says the line when you're a waterbender in a strange land you do what you must to survive and like you know like fair i guess but then you know she decides to to use this to just like punish random villagers and like torture them right. and shit and like that's the part where it becomes evil right because we've spent so many episodes this season trying to humanize the people of the fire nation and show that they're you know even if they're under a bad ideology they're under a bad government that doesn't make them you know guilty of all of the government's crimes you know i think that's it's questionable whether that is the case um but I think it's particularly cruel to just lock them under a mountain to starve to death. I mean, how long have they been under there? Like, isn't she only able to get, like, one or two people a month? Yeah, I don't even know. Like, it's... Maybe she has them bring food when she captures them. Because, you know, didn't they say, like, uh, they're always losing delivery boys for the marketplace? Oh, yeah, that's true. So, so you maybe know, she, has she them captures deliver the some food. food with them. Um, but yeah, so like they free a ton of people under there. Um, and then, you know, they are like, oh crap, Katara's with the crazy evil lady. We gotta save her. Right. So, you know, Toph stays to free the prisoners and, uh, Sokka and Because Aang. let's be real, if Toph was there, this would be no contest. Oh, right. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, Sokka and Aang show up and then, uh, they get bloodbended the minute they're, like, in sight and, you know, are fighting Katara, and then Hama tries to get them to kill each other, and she's like, you'll have to bloodbend your friends to save them. But, you know, Katara bloodbends her instead. Right, but it's still a victory, it's a moral victory for Hama, yeah. because, ha 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 ha, now you're a bloodbender, and she gets, like, led off to, uh, like, prison, I guess? yeah. Probably be executed, know. no? Like, but also she um, just like yells to Katara that she's a bloodbender, and like none of these people the are, like, oh, are like, oh, we should burn the oh, other witch too. Lady. Well, I don't think they even realize that she's a waterbender by the end of it. They're just like, ah, thank you for helping us catch the witch. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They're very superstitious people. It's very interesting. Um, you know, but she, you know, one of the things that Hama says to Katara is that you've the du you have a duty to use the gifts you've been given to win the war. Um, and, you know, I think, like, that's kind of an interesting question, and it's a question that, like, Aang sort of has to deal with towards the end of the, the series, where, you know, it's like, is it his duty to kill the Fire Lord? Does he have to kill him in order to end the war? Or, you know, is there, an is it is it enough to just defeat him? Um, and, yeah, like, is that I think, possible? You know, I think Aang would agree that 
if there really was no other way, you would have to kill him. But there's always another way because it's a kid's show. It's yeah. Great. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Nightmares. It's a good spooky episode, and it leaves Katara kind of shaken. Um. And you know, oh, I I do want to call out one great line from Sokka also. Uh, <laughs> while he's being controlled. Uh, he just says, it's like my brain has a mind of its own. And it's very good. It's very Sokka and I like it. Alright, last Avatar episode. Nightmares and daydreams. I don't like this one. So somehow they've arrived four days ahead of schedule to the, the place where they're supposed to meet the the band of rebels. Yeah. Remember all that fussing about the schedule and how they have to cut out potty breaks? Yeah. You know, they keep saying that, like, Sokka's this great scheduler. He's probably a terrible scheduler. It seems like he's bad at his job. Because, yeah. you know, he got them there four days ahead of schedule. With even all the other hijinks they went on. Yeah. So many detours. They literally have an entire episode where he just, like, becomes a sword master and everyone else chills. Yep. But, uh... I guess he just anticipated that. Maybe he's really good at scheduling. He just anticipated, well, we're probably going to have some side adventure that take a couple weeks. <sighs> Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, they show up. It's fine. Um, this episode is so boring and gets anxiety. I don't know. I, I actually do find this one pretty funny. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm stupid. But whereas a lot of the other comedy, I feel like, didn't age with me. Like, it just felt too childish. The I really like the joke. The jokes where he's having the nightmares and, you know, they're just very childish nightmares despite the gravity of the situation so ang you know realizes that he's got to fight the fire lord in four days and so he starts having nightmares where he's fighting the fire lord but he's not wearing pants he i don't know didn't study for his math test he overslept right <laughs> i don't know it works for me uh, it, it, it's whatever and like you know the the like daydream that he has because he he decides that he can't sleep with all these stress dreams and they're just stressing him out more so he'll just stay awake until the invasion so then he starts basically hallucinating during the day and you know he hallucinates that appa and momo are talking and get into like a samurai like ronin fight and this doesn't work for you i i'm i'm, I'm bamboozled i'm baffled that this it's, doesn't work for it's you. so it's just like too goofy like there's no purpose to it it's just well, i just like... like the way that they shoot it because it's like you know the way they draw it uh because you know they just have each of his friends one by one just sort of explaining like i think i think you might have lost it uh, yeah. yeah, we're really worried about you. And then it just pans over, and you just see Appa standing there like it's totally normal. <laughs> he just says, you've got to take care of yourself, Aang. I mean, we're very worried about you. <laughs> and then, you know, the scene just continues with him just, okay, now Appa can talk, and Aang doesn't even question it. Yeah, well, I, don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't mind that. But, like, when it just devolves into, like, the samurai fight and then, like, the, like, koala sheep things that are just, it's like... It's good! It's just, like, cheering. it becomes a, it becomes a, you know, an acid trip, you know? Yeah, but it's, like, the world's most boring acid trip. Like, I just don't care about any of it. You know, like this, like this, there's no major character development that happens here, despite all this. All that happens is that Aang has yeah, anxiety no, for three days, his friends come together at the end and like make him a really nice bed and are like, we're proud of you, buddy, we believe in you, you can go to bed. He's like, oh, gee, thanks guys, and falls yeah, asleep. Like, 
Like that's it. It's it's just There's nothing wrong with filler. Yeah. I mean, I will say this is this is the episode where Zuko, you know, we see him just having just like a great life and a nice time and he gets called to the war meeting and sits at his father's right hand and, you know, he's the perfect prince, but you know, he realizes it's not him and so he makes a decision. And uh, we'll see what that decision is next time during the Day of Black well, Sun. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll bet that like you know because they say that like Azula got told that she got invited directly to the meeting, but Zuko didn't. I bet like you know the Fire Lord was just like uh, go and invite uh, Azula, and then Azula's like, oh, I'll tell Zuko for you. Don't worry. <laughs> and then you know right. that's my guess. Also, you didn't mention Sokka brings out the beard one last time. That's true. Sokka does bring out the beard. Um, is this the last time? I feel like he brings it out once more. I don't know. I think this might be the last time that he wears the beard. Uh, and he's just like, how does that make you feel? Yeah. He, I, makes me feel really stressed and anxious. He plays, I don't know. I think it, I think it's good that we're seeing like the psychological effects on Aang that all this pressure is right, creating. But it's, it's just, it's limited to this one episode and it's solved in the course of like, you know, a really it, it good. It doesn't. Nap. It doesn't. I mean, he's he's stressed throughout the rest of the invasion and feels a lot of pressure. It's just he's not letting it keep him from sleeping, from you know, from ha- being able to manage his own body. Like, here's the thing: if if this episode is your cup of tea, that's fine. Like, it's not bad enough that I you know would think less of anyone for liking this. It's just, it's so. It just feels really juvenile to me, and it's not particularly interesting. There's not a lot of character growth that's happening. It, like it, It's not what I necessarily want or need from every episode. I mean, that's fine. I'm just saying, if I went directly from the Puppet Master to the Day of Black Sun, I would be fine. I would not miss any part of this, you know? Alright, whatever. It's, it's fine. Like, if you like it, you like it. You have no childhood joy left. That is... <laughs> I disagree significantly. I find a lot of stupid jokes that I enjoyed as a child to be very enjoyable. But even as a kid, I didn't particularly like this episode. Okay. It's just not my kind of thing. Right. Um, well, next time we'll we'll talk about Day of Black Sun, and that's more adult. Yeah. It's a war, so we'll do that. Or, okay. or you know, let's talk about Korra, the most adult, David. It's so oh, mature. Geez. Uh, you know, season four, episode five, Enemy at the Gates. Let's do it. So, I mean, it's just like, okay, so we get it. Kavira's the bad guy. She's showing up at Zaofu and being all like, hey, we're just here on a peaceful mission to request calmly that they join our empire. Yeah. I mean, what reason have they to say no? (laughs) (laughs) And, And we've only brought our army in case they, you know in case they attack us, you know? Right. Uh, so we're not the aggressors here. Yeah. <laughs> and Bolin's like, oh, okay. Hey, Suyin, you want to join our empire? And uh, she's like, no. And Bolin's, but Opal, baby. And she's like, no, you fucking idiot. Queer is a fascist. I don't like, I don't like fascists. <laughs> Yeah, and it's, like, after that, after seeing Opal, I think, is what changes Bolin's mind and makes him actually start, like, asking really basic questions. <laughs> right. Like, you know, because his pitch is, like, basically the the pitch for 
the Maoist Great Leap Forward. You yeah. know, he's saying we're visiting these really rural places and we're completely revamping them, industrializing them. They have cars, they have trains, they have uh, you know better agriculture. They're able to feed themselves. We're all able this to protect stuff them, that's... quote unquote. Right. I mean, and that's that was what the Great Leap Forward was, uh, you know, marketed as. Um, you know, we're gonna mass produce grain. We're gonna have people building like steel mills in their backyards so that we can mass produce steel to export. That didn't work out so well because, you know, it's hard to build a steel mill in your backyard <laughs> um, to right. smelt steel by yourself. Uh, but you know, hey, it was it was an idea. <laughs> um that he had now uh so like yeah that's the pitch right Mm -hmm. so now we're pretty clearly defining kuvira as like mal basically which again just feels incorrect somehow you know like right because it's about like incorporating and nationalizing i mean it's much more of a nationalist project you know mao zedong did not um unite China. He just sort of killed all the landlords, which were, you know, sort of these feudalist, um, you know, landowners who basically could charge whatever they want because they had a total monopoly. Like you couldn't move or leave for all these, you know, agricultural, uh, rural workers. And so he just was like, okay, well, they do nothing. They serve no purpose. All they're doing is collecting rent on land that they own because they inherited it. You know, it's like the landed gentry. Right. So it's like the French Revolution. Just, you know, kill all of them. Yeah. That's not what happens here. This is more of like the Chiang Kai-shek, you know, uniting the kingdom by going through and conquering this one and cutting a deal with that one and making someone assassinate the leader of this state and... You know, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Or maybe more of like an Otto von Bismarck. Yeah. Like uniting Germany. Right. And then he became chancellor. But for some reason, Kuvira is not satisfied with like being in charge of everything, but just not being... The figurehead. The ruler in name, the figurehead. Right. Because she's Mao. Yeah. I don't know. It's whatever. It's weird. Um... She's bad. <laughs> yeah, it is bad. Uh, also, Varric is doing crazy experiments on spirit vines, and, like, they're so powerful. And, uh, you know, he's like, all right, Julie, we gotta shut this shit down. But then... Right, but why? What? See, he's just like, well, now I have a conscience. Yeah, just for, like, no reason. Just like... It, it, it bothers me a little bit, but not that much. Because, I mean, I get that they just want Varric to be a character again. Yeah. And they like him so much, they're like, well, I don't want him to be pure evil, right? Like, go, what, I mean, what do you think made him the, a great villain? Well, was that he was just purely motivated by, like, capital. <laughs> and that... Yeah, well, self-interest, at least. Yeah. Maybe not, you know, specifically money, but always self-interest. And he was always playing both sides, mm-hmm. you know? That was the really fun part. And so... I mean, I think The idea that he's just, like, now here. taking responsibility over his invention, I think it's a little bit of a stretch. But I'll accept it. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree it's a little bit of a stretch. But, you know, like, I enjoy Varric when he's on screen literally at any moment. He is so delightful and fun and brings actual humor. What I do hate about Varric, though, is the horrible, like, His Girl Friday thing he's got going with Zuli. Yeah. Like, it's really uncomfortable because he just clearly has all the power in that situation. 
and she's like falling for him or something. I I mean, is it quite that? I don't know if I necessarily read it exactly that way. Um, like well, you know, she like falls off the train, and then he like pulls her back onto her onto him. Yeah, and you know, then she's like, "Oh, Varric, you saved me," and he's like, "You know what else needs saving? Uh, my feet. Go scrub my feet, Julie." <sighs> Yeah. You know, he's like oblivious. He's and oblivious. She's like pining for him. And she's falling. But, you know, I, I think it more falls into like the, you know, men need a competent, like incompetent, but talented men need a competent woman by their side. You know, like it, it's sort of like Tony Stark, pep- Pepper Potts a little. Behind every man. Yeah. But, but still, I don't think that's enough. Like, there's clearly a romantic thing going on there, at least a one-sided romantic thing, uh-huh. and it's just uncomfortable to me because I don't know. I don't Julie hate it. is his servant, literally. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Again, it's it's weird, but he's clearly yeah. not like necessarily abusing that, like, or at least you know, for. <laughs> sexual game okay so it's okay because he's not he's not interested in her but if he was i don't know it's just a weird romance to push and if they go you know i know where they're going with yeah. it but it's bad so meanwhile cora right yeah meanwhile cora is doing things um, or more specifically not doing things yeah basically she's like i'll just talk to everybody a bunch and tries to do that <laughs> Which is a good idea because she's by no means the most powerful bender and her word has a lot of sway because she's the avatar. But well, like the idea that she could just talk Kuvira out of it, <laughs> it's a little naive. Yeah. Um, More useful would probably be to go and like gather world leaders and try and get them to stop this or rally the troops over to her side and say, right. you know, this is wrong. But trying to convince Kuvira to give up her army and her empire... Yeah. By words. Um, it's it's pretty pretty dumb. Um and uh there's also a subplot with Asami that's going on in this episode that's weird. Right. She she goes and visits Hayao Miyazaki in jail for some reason. <laughs> oh my god, he does kind of look like that uh in jail. No, she visits her father, um Sato. Um, basically, you know, she brings all of his unopened letters and is like, like, I don't ever want to hear from you again, Dad. And he's like, just let me say one thing and then I'll never talk to you again. And she's like, fine. And he's like, you're the greatest thing I've ever created. I'm so proud of you. You're amazing. You are my greatest invention. <laughs> you're Frankenstein. I know. It's, it's so monster. uncomfortable. And then, like, she goes back later in the episode and brings like a pie show board and they like play pie show together and i'm just like why is this happening why is this what asami has been given to do like because what else would she do i mean good point she does nothing um well no she's got a company to run it's just like you know she has no stake in the earth kingdom right right now and she doesn't know that core is there but like they could have given her a stake in the earth kingdom you know like, what, by making her, again, the unwitting ally of Imperialist power? You know, like, she was working with Varric in book two. Right. Would we just do that again, but with Kuvira? 
I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily be that. Maybe Kuvir is not willing to sell to her anymore. I don't know. And so then she's anti-fascist, but still pro-capitalist resource collection. <laughs> like, I don't know. They could have just done something. Yeah, I just don't think that she has any any horse in this race at, until Korra shows up. And yeah. It's like, come on, help us defeat this lady. And then just nothing happens. Like, a lot of nothing happens in this episode. Yeah, well, I don't know. Both Varric and uh, Bolin decide that Kuvir is crazy, and so they decide to, like, defect or whatever, and first Kuvira threatens Bolin with a re-education camp, which is just like, okay. Right, and Bolin's like, I thought that was, like, a trade school. And she's like, how naive. Right. And I'm like, like, come on, Bolin. You didn't even ask... You didn't even, like, I don't know. Like, how do you become, like, the the head of the fascist party without even knowing that concentration camps exist? Like... He's just so fucking naive. This is, I mean, this is, like, Bolin at his worst. He's so innocent and naive that he is just helping the bad guy. Yeah, he's really dumb. But, yeah, so, uh, then we get a little bit of backstory about Kuvira from Suyin, um, that she was, like, an orphan that Suyin, like, mentored or whatever. And then after the Earth Queen died, people, like, the, the president of Republic City and Tenzin came by and were like, hey, what if you ruled the Earth King? And she was, kingdom, and she's kind of like, what? Me? Never. I couldn't impose my beliefs on everyone. And it's like, oh, my God. The fucking anti, like... <laughs> I don't even know what it's supposed to be saying because it's like, I don't know, it's the United Republic imposing their will by picking a dictator. It doesn't matter who they pick. It's it's bad either way. I mean, if anything, she should be like raising an army to fight off whoever the... who, you know, whoever the United Republic picks because right, it's like, just, like, an imperial rule. And it's one thing, you know, to say, like, oh, well, I don't want to rule because I don't want to impose my views. So it's like, okay, fine, then coalesce a diverse group of people who can decide to get, like, create a democracy then. Like, don't just sit it out and, like, do nothing, you But she doesn't want to impose democracy. She's just so... people. She wants them to choose it for themselves. I don't know. It's a weird. It's just a weird sort of situation because she's like in this vassal state that was never actually like recognized by the Earth Queen, uh, you know, as part of the Earth Kingdom, and they just built this town, and they're apparently really wealthy, which is why why Kuvira wants them. But like wealthy in what? Like bad statues and like (laughs) new new versions of. No, they've got a lot of metal. Ball. Like that's how they. That's why they built the city there, because they right by like a mine or whatever. So right. So I guess like Kuvira wants to just like tear up the dome. Yeah. In order to get more metal for her machines. For her political machine. Oh shit. Um, but yeah. It's just so. So basically, so Kuvira's in the room while this all happens, and it's like she never forgave me for that. So then she turned my son and a bunch of my guards against me, and then they set out to stop the chaos in Passing Say, and then decided to keep on conquering. And it's like. Okay, like, stopping the chaos in Bossing Say doesn't sound like a terrible idea, you know? Like, the whole fight they have 
before, like, Kuvira leaves is just, like, so baffling to me. Because it just makes Su Yin seem like, no, I want more bloodshed to keep occurring. Like, how dare you step in to, like, try to create, like, order. It's just... Yeah, I don't know. It's just, to me, it just seems like... It's just not thought through. It's some it's some kind of uh the the goal is to establish like okay, independence versus unity and like you know, control versus freedom and not disunity. Right. And it, it just doesn't really grapple with what that means on a state level. Like sure, it would be fine either way. Uh but the real problem is that Kuvira was appointed by the United Republic and then just became a fascist dictator. Right. It's just all weird and dumb. Um, so basically, Bolin, Varric, and Julie decide to defect and they run away in some mech suits and there's a mech fight. And Julie holds her own pretty well, pretty impressed. Um, Bolin is basically almost useless. And... Uh, you know, Varric gets captured, and so then they all have to, like, surrender. Um, and then at the very end, Julie is like, Kuvira, I judged you wrong. I put my faith in the wrong person. I denounce Varric, and I will serve you faithfully. Please don't send me to a camp. And she's like, all right. And then Bolin's supposed to go to a camp, and Varric's going to be forced to make some more spirit vines. And uh, that's kind of where we leave things. Oh, also, Korra tries to talk to Suyin, but then finds out that Suyin is going to try to go, like, assassinate Kubira, basically. Right. Um, it's not a great plan. No, it's a very dumb plan. Um, and that brings us to episode six, the Battle of Zaofu. <laughs> it's a big old sneak attack. They dress up in spy outfits and just go like, all right, Ninja. let's charge the tent that's labeled Kuvira. Right. And they're like, yeah! And it's not Kuvira, it's it's Julie. Yeah. And so, you know, then they're immediately captured. Um, yeah. I like the cut to Korra, where, like, Korra's arguing with um, with Opal, and Opal's like, we gotta go help him right now. And then Korra's like, no, we should wait. And then it's like three, two, one, and then an announcement goes up. We've captured Suyin. <laughs> yeah. The timing um, on that is <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, unintentional, but pretty good. Uh, so then the the short hair girl gang, as I call them, which is Cora, Opal, <laughs> and Janora, um, they all show up on like the front lines against Kuvira's whole like crazy army, and uh, you know Kuvira gives a speech about redistributing resources equally. And it's like, okay, we right, get it. Yeah, it's really grappling with the, you know, the Maoist sort of, no, she's talking about like, okay, literally there's like these, you know, Mao is about the landlords are charging rent <laughs> uh, just to live. You know, you, right. there's no place where you can live where you're not paying these, you know, landed gentry. Right. Who have, you know, the only reason that they exist is because they inherited some land. Right. Uh, so, I mean, like, the difference between that and, like, ah, oh, this town is rich, so we need to redistribute their wealth. They're hoarding wealth. Right. By being a town made of metal. <laughs> Right, which, you know, like, and the only way to redistribute these resources equally is to forcibly take them. There's no other way 
to try to share well, they, this they offered They offered trying to just incorporate them into their empire, but oh, they yeah. said they didn't want to. Oh, yeah. But, like... I don't know, a trade deal? I don't, like, fucking anything? I know. It, it doesn't make any goddamn sense. It's just, like, communism bad, communism well, equal fascism. Well, but the point is she can do it because she's got the, she's got the army, so. Yeah, so then, she, she you know, Korra is like, all right, I guess we're going to fight then. So then she fights Kuvira and gets her butt I'll fight kicked. you one-on-one as a challenge, you know, and whoever wins gets Zaufu. Yeah, it's really dumb. It's... <laughs> it's just, why would you ever accept that? Yeah, why would Zaufu, like, accept that, you know? Well, no, it's just that, you know, Korra would then have to step back, I guess, if she won, and just not interfere. Right, like, I... Or maybe if it's a fight to the death, I guess losing Korra would be a pretty big blow to the military and the United Republic military. Yeah, I don't know. But, I don't know, she just gets her ass kicked and then (laughs) goes into the Avatar state, like, that's gonna fix it. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, no, I have a vision of... Bad Avatar state, because I guess I did bad things while I was in the Avatar state, except she didn't. No, she didn't at all, and also, like, I, it's just like, oh, still traumatized. You still got trauma. But in such, such a, not in like a realistic way, where like she, you know, I don't know, I'm watching Steven Universe Future right now, and they're really analyzing like the way that trauma impacts young children yeah and i don't know if it's wholly accurate but it's done in a simple way that's easy for kids to understand and if it's mostly kids and teenagers who are going to be watching cora like you know you could do it in a way that's simple but more true to life than this uh, right just i see visions of evil bad me and then that makes me bad at fighting (laughs) right like it's like that's not just how it works um it's yeah, it's it's very dumb here, and, uh, you know, so basically she loses, and then Kuvira attacks the city, and um, there's a nice little moment where uh, Suyin's art son is giving lessons to Iki and Milo, and, you know, Iki draws, like, an adorable little, like, anime <laughs> doodle, and, you know, yeah. he he's kind of like, ah, oh, I feel the raw emotional power, and then Milo does like a technically good uh draw self portrait of himself, but you know, there's there's no real Milo inside of it. And, you know, it's 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 cute. I, I don't give a shit about Milo, I just like Iki's <laughs> picture. It's very good. Yeah. Iki um, likes to draw. Yeah, Iki's great. And so uh, while they're in the middle of that, that's when the attack happens. Or, well, no, Janora, like, spirit pops in and is like, We gotta get out of here now! <laughs> we gotta go. We gotta go! Um, it's just a, it's such a weird sequence of events. And, like, it's hard to even remember exactly what order they happen in. Because yeah. they're so disjointed. Yep. So, like, after, like, you know, could, like, Korra's about to get destroyed in this battle. That's when, um you know, Janora and, and Opal rush in to save her. And then that like triggers the invasion because you said you wouldn't interfere. Like, and then the, also the reason that like the airbenders are not allowed to attack because they can't be the aggressor. And it's like, clearly Kuvira is being the aggressor. Yeah. 
Like, like taking an army somewhere as a precaution <laughs> is doesn't work. No, I mean, it's an aggressive move. You're the aggressor. Yeah. It's like if the U.S. moved all of its, like, warships around, like, China. It's like, <laughs> like yeah, but they didn't attack. They said, well, we come in peace. <laughs> It's basically, it's the opening of Japan. It's like, open your borders or else. But no, this is peaceful because we didn't fire our guns. We just had them. It's like, Jesus Christ. Um, And then Suyin is like yelling to them, like, don't come to save us. We'll be fine. While they're already like in the air being rescued by Milo on on a on a sky bison right it's like how can you hear them like from that far away with all the wind blowing and the explosions and yeah and uh (laughs) go we'll be fine and they're just in these metal eggs i know the fucking eggs are so weird they don't make any sense to me also (laughs) they don't cover their like heads or anything no this metal egg it's it's just so bizarre um (laughs) it just looks terrible um, also, there's a That's lot of the really battle of Zaufu. awful. It wasn't much of a battle. It was not. There's also a lot of awful 3D that I just wanted to mention really fast. Um, meanwhile, oh, yeah. Varric basically tricks the uh, the guards into letting Bolin be his like lab assistant, even though Bolin does nothing but like hand him a screwdriver during all of this. Right, but I like the negotiation yeah. that Farrick goes through. I think it, it fits smart. with his character that he's kind of manipulative and he's like, hey, you know, if you want your hands blown off, you know, you could be my assistant, but otherwise I'll take Bowen. Yeah, um, which, you know, well done on his part. So then he basically constructs a bomb with both a timer and a remote detonator, and I yeah. love the whole scene. All, all of this is very good. It's stupid in that yeah. the the spirit vines can be made into bombs are dumb, but like Varric's role in all of it, you know, replace spirit vines with anything more believable. And the whole scene is great. Right. Why couldn't it just be uranium? Right. I don't understand. I don't know. (laughs) Do they not have uranium that you like, you could probably bend it as an earthbender. Right. Like it would probably be really easy to mine uranium. I don't know. It's just, Oh, we wouldn't believe that they could figure out how to split the atom. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. They invented like a lot of shit in like 60 years. So yeah, I I just don't believe any of it. You know, it's like, it's all completely unbelievable. So you just have to accept all of it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. A spirit vine, which I don't even know why that's a thing. Like, I'm pretty sure that spirits are in the swamp, but that the trees are just normal trees. Right. In the swamp. In the swamp. Yeah, maybe. But just trees. I, I think they're not just talking about the swamp. I think they're also talking about, you know, like, the spirit vines Republic that are in City. Republic City as well, which no, are... No, I understand, but I don't understand why there are vines in Republic City. This is... We, we talked about this back in book yeah. two. Like, okay, what? why are vines now having to do with the spirit world? The only know. reason vines were spiritual in the swamp is because the swamp is, like, a big living spirit. It's just, like, like nature and nature being a spirit. Right. But and... why vines specifically? Why not trees or, you know, rocks? You know, like, there's spirits in everything. That's the whole point of spirits. Well, because, like, you know, when 
<laughs> the dropped plot line of last season is that, you know, like, the spirits are invading the human areas, and it's bad. Right, and we so have you to... need to... You need to visualize that infestation, so you right. use vines. Right, so use vines, because they're... All right, I guess it's a fine visual metaphor, or whatever. But then you have to literalize the metaphor, and then take the <laughs> vines and turn them into vine bomb lasers. Right, it's very dumb, um, as we've said many times. But so, um, you know, Beric is, like, truly willing to kill himself, it seems like, uh, because Julie left him, and... Uh, then Bolin saves the two of them, and uh, now where I don't know. Do they go somewhere? No, I think they get captured. They're going to. They're going to be taken to the concentration camp. No, don't they escape? No, I don't think they do. It it ends with him going, "Damn you, Julie! You failed us." No. No, they they. They oh, they escape. just pop out of the yeah. ground, right? Yeah. They just go in the ground. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was mixing it up with the other episode. No, yeah. Um, yeah, they, they like pop out in the ground and are sort of, that's the last we see of them for now. I think they make their way back to Republic City, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they're planning to, yeah. Right. Everyone's headed back to Republic City. Uh, what What's Kuvira's husband's name? Suyin's kid? Batar Jr. Batar Jr. Batar Jr.'s got some fucking issues, man. He, like, really hates his parents for kind of, it seems like, no reason. I'll never live in your shadow, Dad. Yeah, and it's just like, what? what? Where did this come from? We've had no buildup for this. Like, It's also very weird to me that Kavira keeps referring to him as my fiancé. Right. Oh, where is my fiancé? I can't find my fiancé. Right. The poor baby. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's basically where we leave Cora. It's a mess right now. It's only going to get messier, guys. We're only, like, six episodes in. Yeah, we're we're about halfway through the final season. Um, it's, yeah, I don't know. So far, I feel like its opening is worse than book two. But I don't yeah. know where it's going. Is going to be worse or better than book two? I mean, I it all comes down to whether or not it's better than giant spirit monster kaiju fight well it's gonna be not giant spirit monsters but it's gonna be pretty close so we'll catch you uh, (laughs) next time and maybe you'll find out what's gonna be giant yeah uh if you enjoyed this episode please leave a comment uh send us a message you can tweet at us at talking tropes um we'll see you next time guys bye-bye bye